take over doubt, we gon' make it Show the world that I shine in our greatness Keep it real, never gon' fake this Till we make it, till we make it Taking off, flying high like a spaceship Take control, take a shot Alright, welcome everybody, this is Danny from Shake the Earth Podcast I've got an awesome guest today, lucky episode 13 13? 13, I've got Kareem Clark, you're a tech titan Oh, I don't know about that, Danny. You're Just a, a CEO. Girl. Just a girl with big hair. You are a cancer survivor. Yes. You're a mentor. Uh, I do. I do some of that. And you just you just rode a race over the weekend. I just rode the Goldilocks, 62 miles, four and a half hours. Was on a on a pedal bike, on a on tricycle, a, on a <laughs> on a non-electric bike. <laughs> That that non-electric part is the is the is the operative word. It was fun. You, you actually took a tumble though. I did. Uh, I I went down. When you're clipped in as a 55 year old woman, you got a plan for going down. Sometimes <laughs> I went down. I got banged up, but I got back up. About halfway through the race, so you had you had yeah. halfway through to think about halfway that. Halfway through, yeah, to swear the rest of the way. No, I didn't swear. I was uh, <laughs> I was happy I wasn't hurt more, and I was thrilled my bike was fine. So I'm going to do something, and I think this is going to be very uh, selfish of me, but I want you to. I want you to talk to my two girls during this podcast. Okay, okay? Awesome. nine and five. What are their names? Ada and June. Ada and June. And June. Yep. Perfect. And uh, the reason being is you are a powerhouse here in, I mean, really anywhere, but here in Utah, you're on you're on the board of Silicon Slopes. True. As well, which is a, I mean, you could tell us a little bit more about that, but you've had a an immense career, but also you're a you're a survivor, you're a cancer survivor. Yeah, and I'm just I'm just a student of my life. And um, uh, when I was diagnosed with cancer, they gave me a 20% survival rate. And when you think you're going to die, it changes you forever. It changes everything about you. So you no longer balance your checkbook, for example. You no longer clean out your shoe closet. You don't wash toilets. You outsource everything. But you also look at life differently. You look at children differently. You look at work differently. And you don't watch TV. Because that, that wastes time. Because you know, because at 48, I knew I was going to die. And my Holy smokes. So this is 2012. You 2000, found out. Yes. January so what 20th. what led up to you finding out the diagnosis? Like no indicators, no indicators at Did you all. Just like a routine checkup. Just no. Was hiking in Hawaii with my husband, and usually I leave him in the dust. But he's like, dude, why are you why are you behind me? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I'm like sucking wind. Maybe it's the altitude. He's like, we're at sea level and <laughs> we live at 5,000 feet. <laughs> So it's not that, and so uh, it was bizarre. And then uh, a week later, I had uh, an ovarian cyst rupture, and so that I thought, okay, I know how to do that. And I went into the doctor and like, oh, you had an ovarian cyst rupture, no big deal. Yeah, no big deal, because I'm pretty tough. And then a week later, I was worse. So they missed they missed that there was a massive tumor behind that that had also ruptured. Holy so smokes. it started this chain reaction of, okay, you have cancer, okay, you're gonna die. Okay, you have cancer of the appendix, you have can- ovarian cancer. Get your life together. So it was like all of a sudden you go from like being in Hawaii, yeah. enjoying your time. Top of my career, chief marketing officer at Symantec, third largest software company in the world, to you may not be here next year. And two boys that I had worked really hard to get on this planet, they were nine and 17. Yeah. Yeah. So they were nine and 17 at nine the time. Nine and 17 at the time. And when you have to tell your kids that uh, you might not be here, that's, that's a tough go. From Hawaii to when you find out you've got two different types of cancer, at least two, right? Yeah, uh, two cancers. Ovarian and appen- on the appendix. appendix yeah. What was the time frame of that? Two like, weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. And when you have to, like, you tell your folks, you tell your kids, but a lot of people said to me, don't tell anyone because you will, it will destroy your career because you'll be broken. Like, people won't hire you. And I'm like, isn't that kind of a lie? <laughs> and I have a tribe of people that I care about. Well, you have, I, I think it's understated, like how, how much of a powerhouse you are in, in technology here in Utah 
and in, in just you, the tech you community. You say that, but I really am just you, a girl. Do, do you not believe that? I don't. And people come to me and talk to me, and I'm always surprised when they're like, hey, I heard you speak at this event. I'm like, oh, I hope I didn't. I hope I said nice things. And they're like, hey, you've oh. Spoke, you've spoken. You've TED Talks. Yeah. You've, you've had, I've, I watched quite a few of your videos. And I don't you love to speak, but I have something to say. So the introvert in me is like, has to really be bound so that I can, because I have something to say to young people, to your daughters, that guys, guess what? It doesn't matter. You can do it. You really yeah. can do anything that you think about if you have a vision and a plan, really. So so back to you, you have a ton of people depending on you. And you find out this horrific news. It's a one in five survive. Yeah. And you don't want to lie to them. Yeah. Right. And everyone, there's a script that people try to that follow. When you have cancer. Okay. And then they follow the script. And I decided I was not going to follow the script because to have such a horrible diagnosis I had to take it head on. I had to I had to make sure that I did everything that I could do and even things I didn't know I could do to beat it because my younger son was nine. My older son's 17. My older son, he was kind of matter organized, but my younger son, when your mother dies when you're nine, I don't think you turn out okay. Yeah. I think you struggle. Yeah. So, and he's like, mom, don't die. Don't leave me with dad. And because dad never buys concessions at the movie, dad makes you share a Slurpee, dad never springs for the fun stuff, right? Dad doesn't go, hey, let's go to Disney World. Dad's like, let's stay home and mow the yard. And he's a good person, but he's super conservative. So when your kids are looking at you like, don't die, you cannot promise them that you're not going to die. Because then if you die, you're like this ginormous, big, fat liar. Yeah. So I decided that I wasn't going to waste it. And so I said, buddy, look, I can't promise you that I'm not going to die, but I can promise you that no human will fight harder. I can promise you that I will teach you what it means to stand up to something pretty awful with guts and tenacity and grit, because someday you're going to have something really horrible. You're not going to have ovarian cancer. I can promise you that (laughs) because you don't have those girl groceries, but you are going to have something horrible. And And then you, you decided... I saw a video of you. You decided to put together your A team yeah. of medical advisors and team. Yeah. Like not not just leaving it by chance, like walking in and saying, no. no, this is your game. You're like, I'm if I'm gonna go into this game, this is how I'm gonna go yeah. in with my I'm that's, interview that's like how you <laughs> tackle like corporate yeah. management though too, yeah. right? I mean you did that the same way. I was blessed to get my MBA at a great university and I decided to use at Brigham Young University. Okay, great. I went tough to school to get yeah. into for MBA. And not many women in the program, I might add. But I decided to use everything I had learned to build a team, right? So I had to do supply chain management, I had negotiation, I had to, I had to do everything I could to build the team. So when I interviewed people, oncologists, people that were helping me, I would say, do you think I can make it? And if they're like, well, like the odds are not in your favor, I'm like, out, Done. right? You're, you're gone. Didn't make it. Uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't recruit people that said, oh yeah, you're gonna make it, because no one said that to me. They said, well, it depends on you. And I was like, okay. What kind of shared your same attitude that you, you gave to your son, which is, you know what? We don't know, but we're going to give it everything right. we got. Like, I'm trying to teach my boys what it means to be resilient humans. Yeah. I'm I trying like to teach that. them what it means to be self-healing. So your daughters, it's like, how can we help them be resilient? How can we help them be strong? And how can we help them be self-healing? Because I know I'm not going to be there, right? Because yeah. I, I thought I was going to die. So now, so when you know you're not going to be there... The legacy you have to leave is resilient, good, kind, self-healing humans. That led your journey for 18 months you were doing chemo. Right. 18 Not months. Not for sissies. 18. 
What was the recommended uh, uh, time? Because you said you went actually above and beyond. Yeah, the that, protocol like, was two cancer drugs every three weeks for six months. And you're so, like, forget that. Well, and I, so I am a student, right? So I did all my research and I found another protocol that was three cancer drugs every single week for six months and then one drug every 21 days for a year. And I'm like, sign me up for that. Yeah. So when I talked to my oncologist, who I barely knew at the time, but she, I mean, she was so great because she pushed me and she let me push her. She said, everyone finds that, that research study in Japan, but not everyone can do it because it's pretty brutal because you get drugs, but you, you, you get hit and you get hit and you get hit. You don't have time to recover. So your white count is just shot. Your, your whole system's just shot. And I said, I can do it. What kind of person were you during that time? Like, were you honorary? Were you like, I mean, were I was you, tired. Did, did you step away? You step away from work? I stepped away from work. I called my boss and said, yo, I have cancer and I'm going to have to jump off the ride for six months. And he was the president and CEO of Symantec. And he said, sweetheart, you always said that you would build a team that would work beautifully without you. Like that was your goal. So yeah. we'll see how you did. I'm not going to put someone in your job. We're going to let your team just run. But I, f I figured I could not fight this part-time. Yeah. I had to go. Because if you fight it part-time and then you die, you no, kind of lost. Yeah, it, ne it needed 100% of your attention. Yeah, tension. I got I to go all in. And so that's what I did. And uh, so my oncologist agreed we do 18 months of chemo. And I said, oh, heads up, I don't want to lose my hair. And she's like, oh, whoa, you got to focus on the cancer. I'm like, you got to focus on the patient because the patient needs to win something. And the patient does not want her son's friends asking them, yo, why is your mom bald? Because it's not a good look anyway. Six yeah. foot of bald. So you didn't, uh, didn't, you lose didn't my lose hair. Your, you didn't lose your hair. I lose my hair. And they said that's not possible. What? Yeah. My husband gets credit for it. Found this cold cap therapy out of the UK, part of my research, and no did... Frozen hats, they work, ladies, but you gotta be on it, it's pretty binary. Uh, they had to be minus 33 degrees Celsius. You had to wear an hour before chemo, all during chemo, and then four hours so after chemo. So it basically chemo. preserves your hair, your hair cells so that they, they yes. puts, puts them it, into a shock yeah. while it's gonna go, just before it goes Cryogenic into shock. Cryogenic state no of your way. hair follicles. And then four hours after, it means all the chemo's gone through your liver and your kidneys, so it can't get to your hair follicles. Holy smokes. So you lose your eyebrows and eyelashes and You're all. You're okay. Yeah. But, I, when I left the chemo center after the first six months, that was the hardest, the weekly chemo, because that was where you're going to lose your hair. I walked out of there with my hair, and uh, the woman that runs the front desk said, oh, my gosh, you're going to walk out of here with a full head of hair, and no one's going to know that you, you've had cancer. So I had another year of treatment that I had to do, but every 21 days, that drug um, didn't cause alopecia, which is hair loss, um, but it had different side effects. But I could get back to my life pretty quickly. Because people didn't know. When people, when you're bald, they know you have cancer. Yeah. And it, people are kind, but it's hard for them not to look at you and they, feel they sorry for you. They don't see beyond that because it's hard. It's glaring, right? And they right don't talk face. to you. And yeah. so I go out of my way if I see a cancer patient. I go up to them and say, Put your hey, tell me, yeah, tell me what's going on. And, you know, so, what's, what's your struggle? So I want to talk about that because that gives you, you now have a very, very unique and broad perspective on people suffering now. And that, that goes into your new job. You're the CEO of, of Banyan right. right now, which is, I mean, you could tell the listeners what, what, that, what you do as a service because it perfectly coincides with what you were doing before you even probably knew what Banyan was. Right. So we're helping people have a better patient experience. So before I was uh, president of Merit CX after Symantec, it was customer experience. So great, because we all want better customer experience, but companies haven't paid attention to the patient experience. So and doctors aren't typically known for customer service. No, and 
and and customers or patients don't push their doctors. They don't ask for, you know, they don't push when they, they don't question anything. So uh, every year I speak at the University of Utah Medical School with my oncologist. We have a great time. And I say, I say to the students, if your patient's not challenging you, not asking you questions, then you're not a good doctor because you Man, need that, to be that's pushed. probably got to be hard for them to hear. <laughs> yeah, because they don't have all the answers. The patient has information that the patient doesn't even know they have, like how they feel or what's going on. And Do you think that's because patients are sometimes intimidated by their doctors? I think because doctors are smart people yeah. and they must know everything because we don't know what's going on and they know everything. But the reality is they went to school for a really long time. They've worked really hard to get to know most things. But the key to it is the marriage between the patient and the doctor so that they're pushing each other. So, for example, I really wanted to do this aggressive protocol. My doctor was supportive of it. I wanted to do um, the, the frozen hats. She did not want to do it, so I had to push her on that. Um, my first chemo draw was a drug called Taxol, and I had a cardiac a cardiac, I went into cardiac arrest, so I had a cardiac event. Like, and, a, like a mini heart attack yeah, or like a heart attack? like my heart was like, it was like fibrillating and I was, I was pounding on the desk. I couldn't even communicate. So they knew exactly what it was. And she got right in my face and she said, because they stop the flow, they fill you full of steroids and Pepsid and Jeez. Benadryl. You're like swimming in it. And she, she comes up to me and she's like, you had a cardiac event. This is after an hour of consulting with other doctors. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a heart attack. She's like, we're just going to call it a cardiac event. And she's like, we have to make a decision. We, we can take this drug, which is the newer drug, or we can try the older drug. But before you decide, let me tell you that this may be the decision between you being here and not being here. And so you're sitting in the chair. You've just had a heart attack. You, 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 this is your first time with chemo. You've already been through a lot of emotions. You've already had surgery. And you don't really know what to do. So before I even said anything, she's like, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me. And she's like two inches from my face, right in my grill. <laughs> and I'm like, Dr. Werner, she's like, I want you to trust me because I'm going to give you the drug again. And I'm like, whoa, like cardiac event. <laughs> she's like, we're going to slow the flow and we're going to fill you with so many steroids. And you're, you're not, you're, your teeth are going to be swimming, but you will tolerate this drug. And over time, you'll tolerate it better. But we have to do this drug. So, so was it a, a more aggressive drug than the? the it was more was, aggressive, and I had my body was not responding well to it. Jeez. So it may be the reason that I'm here because she she knew she could push me, but she pushed me, and I didn't fight her on it. And we talk about that when we were at the University of Utah, how we have this give and take, we push each other. And but I, it's more it's it's like relationship instead of I'm the doctor, I know everything, right. so just. Just take what I give you where the patients like oftentimes people know their bodies like they know what their bodies need. They they have an inclination towards what it but they they may not know the medical side and they're afraid to ask. Right. So I'm always surprised when I talk to patients that they leave the office with a lot of questions. I'm like, you have a terminal disease. Why would you be too embarrassed to ask the doctor? Because I'd be like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. You got nothing to lose. Right. Because of your life. So we're trying to change it. We're trying to make it easier for patients to have a great experience, whatever practitioner they go to, you know, even like your dentist, right? We want yeah. to make it better. Like, why do I have to sit in the dentist's office for an hour when I came at a time that you said worked for you? I think that's what irks everybody, right? And, it's, yeah. and a lot of it is, is so the let's same fix in the medical it. field. Like, how let's do fix you... it. Let's make it better. And let's make it so that you know the best doctors to go to. You don't have to. I had to ask around. Thankfully, we have Huntsman Cancer locally. And there's, I mean, there's like all great doctors there. But you have to really do your work to figure out who's the best doctor for you. Interesting. So so that 
you took that position as CEO how long ago? Uh, about a year year ago. And that yeah. was that was that your first position back in since can, the cancer no, treatments? No, I had um, I left Symantec. So the day before I came back from my medical leave, they fired the CEO, my boss, and he calls me and he's oh, like, really? "I want you to come back." I'm like, you know, I don't love that job as much as I used to because now I know I'm going to die, and I was still <laughs> I had still had a year of chemo, so I went back, but I left the job probably six months after I went back. And okay. then I went, the first job I went to was, I was the CEO of Allegiance, which is a customer experience oh, okay. company. Okay. And I was still in treatment. And I had told the investors, look, I'm still in treatment and I'm not through this. And they're like, yeah, we don't care. We don't care, just come in, we'll take your time whenever you need. Yeah. And so that was founded by Adam Edmonds, a friend of mine. Uh, not back then, but we got to be friends. And so that was a great experience. Um, built that, a company was acquired by another company, put that company together, did that for a couple of years and then left and then went to Banyan. So because you're, yeah, you're, you are, again, I, I say this, you may not believe it, you're a tech titan and you are also, you got the, like the Midas touch, what you touch turns to gold. Well, I, I know how to find people. I know how to build things. So it's not me. I know how to build people and teams and companies, but I also. What, what is your, I'm trying to remember, I forgive me, but I, I listened to the, or I watched the video of that Banyan made, I think on you. And you said, do you want fun humans? Yeah, no, I want no fun, bad. fun, funded, no bad humans. Yeah, fun, funded, and no bad humans. Because life's too short for yeah. bad humans. And there's so many of them. There are a lot. Huh? Yeah. And so my other part of that coin is I want to work with people who are humble, hungry, and who are smart about people. Because if you yeah. don't have one of those three, it's not a fun ride. It's not a fun yeah. ride. Yeah, no, I can attest to that. We, I've been in some situations where we brought somebody in because they were, they were quote unquote the best, but yeah. they were the worst human. Yeah. And so it doesn't really, anything, doesn't any matter. good that they did on the management side yeah. undid with, with burning people in relationships. So yeah. it doesn't matter. So do you like small companies or big companies better? People always ask me that. The reality is I have skills to do both. So, yeah, you've done, a, you've got, gone from zero yeah. to acquisition or you've gone so from- So I love big companies because it's a big platform. Right, yeah. you have, you have a lot more resources. Of, yeah, ton of resources. You got, um, you have a big megaphone. But I love small companies because you know everyone's name, you know everyone's story, and everyone can see their fingerprints on the success or the failure. And it's easier to fix things because they're not so ingrained, and you can make changes pretty dramatically. So I've I've done I've done jobs at both. I actually love both. But if you notice, I'll go from big job to I'll go back and forth between the two. Wherever you got to get your fix. Yeah, wherever <laughs> is my fix at the time. <laughs> I need a small company. I need no funding. I need yeah, vision driven. Yeah, I'm not afraid driven. because I know like I know I'm gonna die. So who cares about most of this stuff? I'm pretty efficient. I can move. You're like really vocal. You're vocal about. That like that being a part of your life yeah. and driving the decisions you make. Yeah, because are you afraid it's going to come back? Oh, every day, every day, every day I wake up and if I'm still here, oh, I won. It's like a one. I've won and I'm still here. If I'm not here, I'm a little bugged. So it's very binary for me, and I live everything that way. So example, I decided to do all my retirement trips now with my kids. Yes. So from the time I got out of the hospital, we have gone, I've taken the entire family to Normandy to my grandfather's grave. I've, wow. We've gone to Eastern Africa for a month. We've done Europe like four times. We've gone to Hawaii every single year. We're going to New Zealand this year. I mean, I've just, I am not gonna wait to retire to go on these trips because I already know I'm going to die. And it is How magical. do you instill that in somebody that is healthy right now? They don't, they don't see the problems in there. They don't see the cancer in five years that's going to hit them. I think it's hard to instill that into someone because it's so visceral for me. Um, but it's hard to, to, to share that with other people because they don't believe you. 
You know, yeah. when I was I was in the hospital for three weeks and my surgeon came in and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. He's like, you're welcome. You got a gift that most people don't get until their 70s. And so you yeah. live your life differently. Yeah, that is that is a definitely a different perspective. I outsource everything I don't want to do. And I spend not all Not because my you're lazy. Day. No. Not because you're not you're like the least no, lazy person. I'd rather but because do stuff with are... my kids. I'd yeah. rather do stuff with my husband. My my youngest is now 16, so he's going to be leaving me in a few years, and I know that. So, I'm making him crazy, but I, you know, I have breakfast with him. I make sure that I'm there at all of his games and all of his practices. And I, we drive all over Utah to go to his basketball games. My older son is 24, and same thing. I'm all over. I, I write the check for the right to be in his life yeah. and his girlfriend's life because I make it super easy for us to get things done. So just listening to you, I'm having like these thoughts of like, I, sometimes I feel bad if I'm not in the office by eight, if I'm not in the office by seven, if I'm not, if I'm still, if I'm at home by five, but like really what are the most important things you're talking about your time yeah. with your, your friends and family and the people that mean the most to you? Cause I might get hit by a bus tomorrow. That's like, right. And I think that we think we're going to live forever, even though we know we're going to die. Yeah. Like we think we're going to live forever, which is, you know, part of being young. But when I was in the hospital, this whole, I'm going to die. It was just this weird awareness, and I didn't want to waste it. So if I think of something, I do it. So, for example, uh, last Monday I drove down to southern Utah, took my parents to dinner just because I thought of it. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to do it. If I, um, I was in a car accident a month ago, and thankfully no one was hurt. It was my favorite Tesla ever. But I got out of the car, and I was like, hey, I'm still here. Right? It's just a car. Who cares? Like, most things are who cares. Yeah. You think about the fights you're in, the struggles you're in. Doesn't matter. Most of them don't matter. Who cares? Doesn't People matter. come to my office. I work with millennials, mostly, all millennials. And the two things that happen, they say, oh, you know, blah, 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 this problem. I'm like, who cares? <laughs> and they leave. Or they say, oh, you know, this is really hard for me. And I'm like, I beat cancer, right? Like, like they can never. <laughs> you have the Trump card. Yeah, they boom. can never beat me. So I'm like, grow up, get over it, right? I want people who can figure things out and just Okay, so, so how did you get into technology and not something else? Or like so you, was, you said, you've always been yeah, interested in technology. Super nerdy. I'm this, okay, I'm the girl who ate lunch by herself every day. Super nerdy in high school. Did you, by the way, did you grow up here in Utah? No, I grew up in Germany. Oh, okay. Yeah, my okay. father, combat heavy brigade commander, okay. explains a lot. And um, <laughs> I was the oldest. We lived in Germany, and we'd been in Germany a couple times. My sister was born there when I was younger. So I was there when I was an infant until I was five, and then I was there um, all my formative years. And my parents left, and I stayed there to graduate from high school. But I it was a horrible experience in high school. I didn't go to anything. I didn't what? do you anything. You stayed there even when your parents came back? My parents, no, they left when I was 17. So I stayed there by myself. I don't what? recommend that. Super lonely did when you you're an introvert. Did you make that decision or who, who made that decision? I did because my father came home and said, we're moving to Virginia. And I'm like, I'm not going. And my mother had a meltdown and my father said, she's old enough to decide for herself. So I didn't go. Did you kind of regret making that decision? Like, Well, after they left, I'm like, this is super lonely. Because <laughs> I, I had to take care of myself. I had $550 on my checking account. You're still account. a baby at 17. I know. I said to my parents later, how could you leave me? <laughs> my dad's like, hey, you're old enough. And I learned wow. that I had to, like the introvert thing was not working when you're all by yourself because you have to speak to people. And so even though I'm still an extreme introvert, I've had to work really hard to learn skills and techniques to come out because you can't get things done if you don't ever talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was super shy and I decided that wasn't any fun, pretty isolating. But the colonel, my father said, you're going to have to 
you're going to have to get over not speaking in public. You're going to have to get over... Because you've seen me present. I present yeah. all over. Yeah, everywhere. And I'm still super nervous before I start. I still over-prepare. But you over do a great prepare. job. Oh, thanks. I over-prepare. I have to because I'm still that... You know, I'm still that 15-year-old girl who's throwing up in the bathroom before her speech class. <laughs> so my father made me take speech in high school and college, and he was right. He was right. He pushed me. He not, he not only opened the door for me, but he shoved me through it. Because So that is definitely a formative time in your life where oh, you yeah. have to make decisions on your own. Yeah. You're by yourself. Yeah. You're thrown into the situation, even Horrible. though you made... You made the decision on your own, but yeah. I bet you regretted it. Yeah, at because some it's point. super lonely. I mean, I would call my parents every afternoon from a payphone on the corner. I'd like throw marks in. This is back when they had marks in. Uh, I could hear the family in the background. And so, where did you like? Where did you live? And I lived and, in a little in a little maid's quarters, oh, like geez. a bed and a sink. I had to buy my food every day. I took the bus and the streetcar and the underground. I'd go to church, which was quite a process. No one ever offered me a ride, so that's why I'm paying attention to people that might need a ride. But it, you know, it changed me. So was like it I had to that, grow up. Was it at that point that you were introduced to technology, or you I saw the I love technology. technology. We didn't have computers back then, right? I'm old, yeah. um, but we had IBM punch cards. We had this big IBM mainframe, mm. and so we would, you know, we had, uh, the punch cards would fall out of my locker every single day. I don't know why I didn't put a rubber band around them, but I was super interested in tech when I came to Brigham Young University for my undergrad. Uh, gravitated toward tech again, like a personal computer just come out and WordPerfect, I was like a whiz, so I could teach people. And the one thing that happened in high school, the, my father said, you and your sister need to take two years of typing, because in case you can never get a job, at least you can type. type. <laughs> you can be a yeah, secretary. Be a secretary or yeah, good dating. vision, dad. So, <laughs> but was brilliant about it, I could type 130 words a minute. So wow. I could type for, I could type papers for people. I could, t- but I ended up typing on a, a PC, and then I, you know, I learned WordPerfect, and I was just like I said, a whiz because I, because I could type so, so fast. So did you know that you were going to have a career in technology? No, I want to be a math teacher. Wow. Okay. Because I was math whiz. I love math, and math kind of just, and, and I was a music person. My, my, I played piano my whole life, and those two kind of came together to technology, and which is odd. And I played chess. I mean, super but nerdy. There's a ton of math and technology, and right? in music, and music, and, and t- yeah, and just you know remembering things. So being able to type helped me mm-hmm. kind of learn all kinds of things. What was your first job you got when you came out of undergrad? My first job was at, um, well, first I was a library, a general reference librarian, like a professional, because I was actually working on my master's in library science. And then when I realized that they were never going to get rid of the card catalog, <laughs> I'm like, guys, it's all online with the Library of Congress. They're like, oh, we can never get rid of the card catalog. Because I spent most of my nights refiling re- the cards that people would pull out because they thought they'd be funny. I took a job at Novell in international marketing, and that was my first real tech real. job. And was there almost 15 years. Loved so, it. So at what point did you realize, you know what, I've, I've got a knack. Like, I've, I've got this. Like, people are going to be hiring me because I'm high. I don't think I ever got that. You, don't, you still don't feel that way? Mm-mm. No. I Which f- kind of lends to your hungry attitude of, like, I'm going to go in and I'm yeah. going to just. Like, Danny, I got my this. ham radio license because, you know, <laughs> hey, you never know <laughs> when you might need that. Uh, riding my bike, right? I, I just picked up my bike again three years ago because in the hospital I made a list of things that I used to love that I no longer do. And one of them was when I was a kid I had a 10-speed bicycle and I rode all over the place. It was so free. And so I'm like, why didn't I do that? Oh, yeah, you got a car. Okay, but still. So, so I started one, Something you've said like uh, several times even before we started recording was like, I'm a student. 
I'm yeah. a student. I'm a student. I'm a student. Always, I always, read, always learning. Always learning. Always reading, watching videos. Always, always learning things. Whether it's languages, whether it's about people. If I f- see something new that is curious to me, I just go and figure it out. And I want to instill that in my children because you're never there, really. Yeah. You're never there. So you have two boys, but you are a huge proponent of women in the workforce. Women in opportunity, right. providing women. You're always educating talking to women, women. Yeah, educating women, and, educating uh, all young people, really. Yeah. So, what what would you say to somebody who? I'm going to give you two age brackets, right? So, somebody nine year old, Mike, like my daughter, she's just she's a reading machine. Good girl. Always learning, very very. And then my five year old is following the same path. But then somebody who's maybe maybe they're 20 and they're like, you know what? I've grown up with social media. I've grown up with. Uh, I've had the means maybe of, of being able to do whatever I want to do, right. but I don't know where I want to go. So those two age brackets are... So let's start with the nine-year-old and the five-year-old. Uh, try everything, learn everything. Even stuff you don't think you're any good at. Because you, how do you know? Right? Yeah. People, young people tell me, oh, I'm not good at math. What does that mean? Math is like a foreign language. You have to practice it. You're not going to be good at speaking Japanese when you're born, unless you're Japanese, right? You have to practice. You have to do it. I tell young people, learn how to code. Not because I want you to be mm-hmm. a coder, but because I need you to think computationally. Are there any, like, and I don't want to put you on the spot, are there any, like, associations or yep. groups or? Tons. Okay. Go to Khan Academy. K-A-H-N. Con, okay, Khan, Khan Academy. K-A-H-N. Okay. Yeah. So it was started by a gentleman who was trying to help his niece, I think, with algebra. Yeah. And so yep. he would make these videos for her. He's and a then, fascinating individual. Yeah, and he's, he's, I mean, he's so great. But so many young people who don't have access to programs can get a start on Khan Academy. So just go out there and sign up for machine learning, for AI, for just, because there, there's so many free classes for you. Just pick it up and just learn Python. Just, I don't need you to be proficient at it and have it as a job. I need you just to learn how to do it because it will wire your brain differently. Mm. The young people today that don't know how to code are going to be at a disadvantage in the future, not because they're going to not going to be able to get a coding job, but because they don't think computationally. And the world is digital. So my sons, your daughters, they're digital natives. There was no time that they know when they weren't digital. Yeah. My sons are like, what did you do without the internet? I'm like, oh, my sons. We went to the <laughs> library. You're kidding. <laughs> what? And I'm like, let you me break your brain. Go to a we place. didn't have a microwave. <gasps> How'd you make popcorn? On the stovetop. You're kidding. <laughs> How, you know, I said, we didn't have remote control for the TV. <gasps> what? I mean, they just think that it's so backwards. Golly, so, it, is, it is a different yeah, world. They're our phone up. had a, ca- a, a, a cable on it. You know, then the kitchen phone had like a, you know, 400 foot cable. They're like, oh, <laughs> it's like the caveman days. I mean, they, they've only known, they, they're digital natives. They've only known a digital world. And they have simultaneous partial attention. Meaning they yeah, can listen yeah. to their music, be on Facebook, text, doing homework. And we look at them and like, you're not focusing. No, that's how they work. And that's how computational learning is. I need them to think differently. So, and don't be afraid. Try everything. So what if you're not great at it? Who cares? Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Try music, math, robotics. Um, science, ham radio. I mean, there's so many things out there. Just learn and add things to your toolbox. So the 20-year-old, uh, they don't know what they want to be, but they're great at social and, they, and they're digital natives as well. These millennials, God bless them. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what you want to do, it's fine. Start making a list of things you know you don't want to do. Yeah. So you don't want to work with pets? 
bam, write it down. You don't want to work with small children? Great, don't be a school teacher. You don't want to work with food? Terrific. I mean, just like start making lists of things you don't want to do and then start trying things. You might find that you're great at some things that you don't really want to do. Okay, good information. How can you translate that into something that you want to do? And a lot of millennials I talk to, they say, oh, I want to I want to do something I'm passionate about. Okay. Well, like 1% of the population gets to make a lot of money on what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's important to make money is because you do need to take care of yourself at some time. Um, so I tell people, get as many skills as you can, whether it's languages, whether it's um, technology. You need to know how to at least do basic, like computer, not just internet and Windows and Excel. I mean, you actually need to know how to fix things and find things. Just start doing lots of different things and try try things. And don't forget that you will change too. So things that you might not like and weren't good at, you might find out you're pretty good at now. What do you look for? Because you said you hire a lot, of, a lot of your employees are millennials. Right. What do you look for when you're hiring a millennial or anybody for that matter? I look for people that are humble, hungry, and smart about people. They don't have to necessarily have the pedigree to do what I need them to do, but they need to be able to figure it out. They need to be good humans. They need to be teachable, and they need to hustle. And I've hired people that people are like, how come you hired that guy? He doesn't really match what you're looking for. Oh, yeah, he does. He works. He will fit nicely into the team because I don't want a team of all the same people. I yeah. really want a diverse group of people, that people that I can add to the situation. So I hired a guy who um, was not – he was a product guy, but he was at an MBA from Oxford and just loved how he thought – and loved how he got things done. So now he runs my marketing team, and he's fantastic. People but like, but initially, he would have been an unlikely fit for right. the company. On paper, he would not have been the guy. You can't have technology or robots do that for you still, right? No, and we never will be able to have technology robots do everything. It will still be about people. It will still be about getting things done. I use technology to get things done faster, right? So uh, think about AI, data science. Technology can actually help me look for patterns in the data that would take me forever to find. Yeah. So I use technology for that. I use technology to be super efficient about things that I don't need a human to do. But I still need people to think and to be human. Well, uh, Elon Musk figured that out really quickly. Gosh, he's designed a great car. I'm telling you, my Tesla's in the shop. I'm pretty blue about it. But anyone who owns a Tesla, they'll tell you. Yeah, it's it's the way it's going. Okay, last question. And I ask this of everybody. And I'm eager to hear your response, but what made you think that you could do it? So, and, and, and I, you can either apply that to your cancer story, your career, or, or some of the things you're doing now. But I always ask everybody, what makes you think you could do it? I used to let fear determine my fate. And when I was in Germany, I decided, okay, stop. Stop letting fear determine your fate. So don't be afraid. So I guess I never felt like, oh, I can do it. I just decided that nothing was hard for me. So it turns out that nothing's hard for me. Stuff's still hard. But like that bike race, wow, 62 miles in the smoke and the freezing and the heat. Well, was it, you know, was it perfect? No. But I knew that the way to get through it was just keep pedaling. So it's kind of like my life. I just keep pedaling. If the cancer comes back, I will have gotten all my trips in, my retirement trips done. I will have lifted a bunch of people. And this, this world will work beautifully without me, with the people that I had impact on. But... I don't ever figured that, okay, I can do everything, but nothing's really hard for me. That's incredible. I love it. I appreciate you coming on and spending this time, especially sharing your, your kind of raw experience with, with, with cancer, uh, overcoming your attitude. If you're just listening, this is a Shake the Earth podcast. We're at Kareen Clark, uh, CEO, 
tech titan mentor and cancer survivor on. I, would you come on again? Oh, absolutely. Dan. So where can people find you on social media if they if they want to follow what you're doing? Well, if you just follow me, Kareen Clark, on Twitter or on Instagram, I might be Kareen Strom Clark, but... Um, it's I'm 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 social about things that are important to me or that I'm proud of or or if I'm trying to learn. And you're and I've been very impressed with how eager you are to help young people. Well, imagine the fabric of our community if every single one of us mentored twenty people. Yeah, reach back and help somebody. We can all everyone everyone no matter where you are in your life can still lift other people. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is Shake the Earth Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. If you want us to interview somebody particularly, let us know and we can reach out to that person. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play. Thanks again.